Hello and welcome to a brand new series of Just The Tonic, the podcast that shines a light on the positive power of the arts. I'm Katie Derham and in our first series we looked at how music can help mental health and physical well-being. We heard from organisations all around the UK like Changing Tunes, who help musicians in prison rehabilitate, Streetwise Opera, who help homeless people regain their confidence, Citizens of the World Choir, who help refugees and asylum seekers integrate into new communities. And we heard from arts champions like violinist Nicola Benedetti. There is a way to capture music in a way that is respectful of it as an entity, it as one of human beings' greatest creations. Chichi Nwanaku, founder of Chinake, Europe's first majority black and minority ethnic orchestra. This is the 21st century. It shouldn't be a novelty that there's more than one black face on the stage playing Beethoven. And actor Emily Watson. I don't consider myself musical at all, but I love music and I admire people hugely that have that gift and that facility. It's an amazing thing. If you missed the first series, you can catch up by searching for Just the Tonic with Katie Derham wherever you usually get your podcasts. In this series, we'll be hearing from more leading figures and from organisations dedicated to making sure everyone has access to the arts. For this episode, I am stepping back into the fabulous world of dance. Deaf dancers Billy Reed and Sarah from Critical Mass will be telling us all about their performances at the Birmingham International Dance Festival. As a deaf person, I never thought that dance would be something that I would be good at. Having been at Critical Mass, they've just inspired me to go out there and just do it and not to be scared to do it. And I'll be chatting to Cuban dance sensation and the director of Birmingham Royal Ballet, Carlos Acosta. You could dance professional, but you could also dance for your well-being and being in touch with your body. There's something that is very, very ingrained in who we are is the most natural thing to humans. It's dancing. But before I head back to the dance floor, let us hear from Sarah Marshall, Chief Executive of the People's Orchestra, the Community Orchestra, and so much more, based in West Bromwich. Just the Tonic regulars will know we featured the fantastic work they do across our first series. And all eyes will be on Birmingham this summer, as it's the host city for the 2022 Commonwealth Games. So I caught up with Sarah to find out what the People's Orchestra have been up to since we last spoke and how they're involved in the Birmingham 2022 Festival. Hello, Katie. It's lovely to be back. Yes, we've been extremely busy. Uh, We've been setting up our Commonwealth Games project. And as part of that, we've had delight of setting up a couple of new choirs so we have a new choir up in Shrewsbury and a new choir in West Bromwich and all those singers will be able to join us for our Commonwealth event in July. So yeah tell us about that then what's happening in July? So in July we have a live event um, taking place in Digbeth in Secret Space in Digbeth and we're bringing together all our mass choirs from Cheltenham and Brackley and Shrewsbury and everywhere and we're all coming together to sing and we're bringing our orchestra with us but we're also inviting musicians and singers from the commonwealth so we have uh, musicians from kenya and from canada coming over um, to join us which is absolutely fantastic it's been great fun it's been hard work because obviously covid is still affecting everything and 
because very difficult for people to come, but it's been great. So they're all coming over. We've mm-hmm. recorded a fantastic live piece with John Coots We've had a composer project running across the Commonwealth too. So we've had people creating new compositions from Cyprus, Australia, Bangladesh, Jamaica. It's been fantastic. And we're bringing all those together and then playing them alongside our orchestra. So it's going to be a fantastic event and we're really looking forward to it. It is really exciting, everything that's going on around the Commonwealth Games and and the effect that will have on Birmingham and the surrounding area. Obviously, it's not just sport. It's lots of cultural events like the ones that you're involved in. I mean, what impact do you think it has on the local community, something big like this? I really hope that a lot of the organisations as part of this are actually growing in not just their knowledge, but the number of people participating getting people back out of their houses to physically do things. We've been really lucky. We've had some fantastic growth in that. But we do know it is a little bit difficult to get people out the way that they used to before COVID, obviously. But I think that this has been a really good boost for the city. And I think they're going to have an absolutely fantastic time. Thank you, as always, to Sarah. And I look forward to hearing more from the People's Orchestra in future episodes. Now, as some of you may know... I was introduced to the glittery world of dance by the inimitable Anton Dubeck on The Fabulous Strictly Come Dancing. Now, last year, EastEnders actress Rose Ailing Ellis won our hearts, didn't she? She was the first deaf contestant to take part. And alongside her professional partner, Giovanni Panice, she waltzed her way from Walford to the Strictly Crown. She was phenomenal and she did so much to break down the stereotype that deaf people can't dance and can't enjoy music. And that is exactly what dancer Billy Reed wants to do. Now, Billy grew up in a hearing family in Walsall in the West Midlands and his performance at Birmingham International Dance Festival, Forbidden Identity, explores the personal struggle of a deaf child growing up in the hearing world. We caught up with Billy for a chat during a break in rehearsals and he spoke to us through BSL interpreter Rachel Vesey. I started dancing about 10, 11 years ago. But uh, it was just a kind of street style of dance. It was just trying different styles. Um, So I wasn't only doing street dance. I was trying all different styles. And then I formed my own deaf dance crew but people have moved on to other things. So I did work with the crew and now I'm a solo dance artist. And I've been thinking about my own style of dance and what's really appropriate for me. Um, And that's when I started to think about my identity in relation to my dance practice and explore my own experiences growing up as a deaf person in a hearing world through my dance. And also I'm inspired a lot about my brother who's also deaf. He's had a lot of awful experiences growing up. And I've seen what happened to him as we grew up together. And those have sort of informed me as a dancer. So my style of dance is dance, theatre, sign language, sort of combined arts with a semi-autobiographical experience in this show. Um, And it's really accessible for a hearing and a deaf audience. And I want to show a hearing audience what I've been through. But also, I know a lot of deaf people have had really similar experiences to me as well. So it speaks to them, hopefully, as well. So how does Billy feel or hear the music? Obviously, every deaf person is different. They've got different levels of residual hearing. Some people are profoundly deaf. Some people still have a little bit of residual hearing. Um, Myself, I still can hear very low frequencies. So I can hear perhaps some bass sounds, 
but I have a cutoff point at the mid-range and I can't hear sound, high-pitched sounds. So for me, um, hip-hop music, it's quite useful because it's got strong bass beat, so I can dance to that. I know where I am in the, in the rhythm, so I can follow the counts that way. And also, I also use my audio, audio memory as well. Um, I listen and listen and listen to music and take it on board and kind of play it, almost run it as a soundtrack in my head. And when I perform, um, I need real loud speakers so I can have, I feel the vibrations like subwoofers and big bass speakers so I can really feel vibrations going through the floor. That really helps me too. Billy's also a dance teacher and during lockdown he had to move his classes online. Now lockdown was tough for everyone, but especially for deaf and hard of hearing young people. I think it's really important that deaf children have that experience of being taught by a deaf person. They need deaf role models. And also a lot of them were staying at home with hearing families. They're incredibly isolated. They weren't living with people that use BSL or communicated in the same way. So at least if they saw me once a week teaching, it kind of helped them to feel good that there's another deaf person almost at home with them coming through their screen. And actually I realised that was quite, that had quite a lot of impact with young people. So I kept going with the Zoom sessions for many weeks. I did them in a series of blocks and I kept going with them all the way through the pandemic and it, and, and it was great for the young people. To see Billy's dance clips online, search for his Deaf Motion, that's D-E-F Motion, pages on Instagram and on Facebook. And his online Zoom classes led to his appearance on Blue Peter. One day a student felt inspired to write a letter and send it to Blue Peter Talking about my teaching, she said, please could Billy go to the Blue Peter studio? I feel he's made a big impact on me. And I was very surprised. And they sent me a Blue Peter badge. And then later, they actually invited me to go to the studio, to the TV studios, and actually perform a short performance and a short interview as well on the Blue Peter programme. Um, I think it was to coincide with Deaf Awareness Week in 2021. It was amazing. It was really lovely. As well as his own performance, Forbidden Identity, on the 2nd of July, Billy is also appearing in the Deaf Rave, one of the opening events of Birmingham International Dance Festival. At the moment, I've got a new project and I'm putting together a new performance that I'm working on at the moment with my dance team. And it's a mixture of deaf and hard of hearing and hearing dancers. And we're creating a new piece of work and it's called Cog, Cog in the Wheel. And... It's got a little bit of a theme based to the work, but we're changing it a little bit for the um, Deaf Rave party, the after show party, um, because we want to have a real happy vibe and an after show vibe. I think it's really important to see deaf performers, that we've got deaf dancers. And I think when there's a big mainstream event like that, it's really amazing to be kind of featured and part of that. Very many thanks to Billy and Rachel. Billy's dance performance, Forbidden Identity, takes place in Birmingham's Hansworth Park on Saturday the 2nd of July at 10 past 2. It is a free event and you can see Billy at the Deaf Rave in the city's Centenary Square from 8.25 on Friday the 17th of June, which is also a free event. Another great event taking place in Centenary Square just before the Deaf Rave. That's the world premiere of Critical Mass, which is an inclusive dance participation project bringing together young people from across the West Midlands with and without disabilities. It's all about exploring what true acceptance, inclusion and equality look like. 
Here's Sarah from Critical Mass to tell us more with BSL interpreter Chloe Matthews. My name is Sarah and I'm 28 years old. So dance gives me the opportunity to be free, to express myself how I want to express myself and to just betray my emotions in my own little world. I can ignore everybody else and just be me. I only actually started with Critical Mass. So, how many months is that now? About eight months? At first, I started flicking through my phone and I could see this advert for this dance project and I'm looking for people. And I thought, no, I'm not interested in that. Ignored it. And then later that day, again, I came up against the advert and I thought, do you know what? It's not going to hurt just to have a look. And I could see that they were looking for people with disabilities. I've always been really cautious about joining hearing groups because of my history and not feeling wanted or included. But I thought, this might be different. Went for it and applied. Went to the summer camp. Absolutely loved it. So after the um, initial summer camp, we started to break off into weekly groups and I've been working with my awesome dance leader who's called Jess and our support worker Megan and um, my team we decided to call ourselves Team Sunflower because we're just a whole bundle of crazy energy and everybody's just really inclusive and they support each other Um, sometimes we do do mass rehearsals with other weekly groups as well and the minute you walk in, it's just a whole family feeling. Everybody, it's like everybody already knows everybody and it's just amazing. Hearing Sarah talk about her involvement with Critical Mass, it's clear she gets so much from dance. So how important is it for her that big events like the Birmingham Dance Festival are inclusive? So events like this are extremely important for uh, promoting inclusivity and to be able to demonstrate that people can work together no matter what religion, disability or sexual orientation they are and that they can create a space where everybody feels welcome and it's important to to promote diversity um, and to show people that even if they've got doubts, they can do something if they put their mind to it, and they can be able to express themselves in their own individual ways. We've heard in previous episodes how people's lives have been changed for the better through their involvement in the arts. So how has dance made a difference for Sarah? Critical mass actually came along at the perfect moment. Having a hearing impairment, I've always found group things really hard. And to be able to follow conversations, it's been hard. And a lot of time I would miss information, so I would feel really excluded from the group, and that's led me to feel really isolated. Because I grew up as a deaf person in a predominantly hearing world, I became self-conscious and I started having doubts about whether I'm actually any good at anything. But then, so I became aware of this, which has made my confidence really low. Since joining Critical Mass, that's just gone out the window. I mean, the team themselves have learnt sign language, they've done deaf awareness as well, and they just work together collectively to ensure that 
any needs are met and that I feel included in all the groups and it does make a big difference. And will Sarah keep dancing in the future? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Because as a deaf person, I never thought that dance would be something that I would be good at. And having been at Critical Mass, I've just been inspired by everybody, the team, the dance leaders, the other participants, choreographers, and they've just inspired me to go out there and just do it and not to be scared to do it. And long may you continue to enjoy dancing, Sarah. Huge thanks to her and to Chloe. And you can find out more about Critical Mass and more fantastic inclusive events at Birmingham International Dance Festival on the website at bidf.co.uk. Now, my next guest is one of the most influential figures in the dance world today. He trained at the National Ballet School of Havana. He's danced with many of the world's most prestigious companies. Carlos Acosta is currently director of the Birmingham Royal Ballet, which is appearing at the Dance Festival in an exciting triple bill performance over three days. And I was so delighted that Carlos could spare the time for a chat. And he told me that becoming a ballet dancer was not really what he'd had in mind when he was growing up in Cuba. I didn't care for ballet. I didn't like it. It was an imposition for my father. Uh, I thought it was for girls, uh, all of that, but it became my life. The turning point was when at the age of 13, I saw the National Ballet of Cuba for the first time that changed my life. I became more um, concentrated and focused to uh, up my skill. And that led me to win competitions. And all of a sudden, all the doors were open for me. And then they let the rest of history. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of inspirational stories that you could overcome outcomes, any outcome, if you put your mind to it. Uh, and I think that's uh, from the position of the directors. That's what I what I'm trying to do is pass on all, all that intensity and passion that driven my career. And so that the, these dancers understand that this is just not something you do occasionally, but it's, it's, some, it's a lifestyle. And you need to go there where the passion is more intense. I mean, for me, there was no Sundays, there was no Saturdays where everybody was there, you know, having a, a, a live or leisure or practicing football on the streets. I was there in a ballet bar on the floor doing it day in and day out. And this is this is then you reap what you saw, right? It's, it's not an accident. It's like there is a lot of hardship and uh, pain and, and all of that behind any success. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's what it was at the beginning. It was a very humble place in the 80s in Cuba. It was a period of great stability and then everything become a bit more shifted. And, um, you know, the, the Iron Curtain collapsed in 1999. In my household, particularly, I, I was a bit bumpy. My 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 father was in jail in the in, at some point while my mother had a brain hemorrhage. And therefore, my two sisters were the one who were cooking for me and uh, I become truant. And anyway, it was, a, it was a period that it led me to understand a very crucial message, which is nobody's there for you. Nobody's going to rescue. But you had to shape your future. You and you alone can change the outcome of your life. And that is something that um, made my brain working in that in that uh, in that in that direction, and what what you get, it's uh, at the moment, it's just you're very independent, and you're trying to to really focus all the energy 
so that uh, no one can cloud your your steps. So this is more or less a preamble of, of how I, I came to be here sitting down now. But for you, you know, you, it obviously comes from within. Character is, is so important. But also you have to have access, right? Don't you? You need to be able to go to a dance class or join a band or have access to the arts. I mean, how important do you think it was for you and for everybody else in Cuba at the time as well to, to be able to have that that light, that light in the, at the end of the tunnel? Exactly. I think that's a very important point. Obviously, Cuba being a communist country meant that money wasn't an issue to have accessibility to to anything you wanted. So when you get money into the equation, sometimes you divide in those who can and those who cannot. And therefore you will have uh, perhaps less, less pool of, 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 of people in the arts uh, to choose from. But when money is not an impediment, it allows poor people like my family uh, you know, to really have an education for free. And that was a period again of great stability in Cuba in the eighties, and and allowed you know uh, people or families like myself to get into an art form where a dance shoes can cost you a hundred euros or a hundred pounds one dance shoes, and and then it won't last you that that long, and then you had to keep spending. So that would have been a big impediment for for uh, people that come from man, for families similar to mine. And so that was a, a, a great thing that uh, I think we we benefit from. Um, I think uh, uh, exposure to the art is very important. Having role models uh, and all of that. And also in Cuba, art and ballet was always on TV. It was synonymous with well-being. It was synonymous that you're cool. You could have, you know, a good life. And so when you send that kind of message endorsed by the, the government, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's it's already a route that, that you you sort of are dictating. And uh, we had really great role models. We had, the you know, the principal dancers of the National Cuba, which were gods for us, and we all wanted to be like them. And yeah, uh, sexibility was key in the 80s in Cuba, definitely. So how are you managing to try and rebuild that model, if you like, in Birmingham now at the Royal Ballet in Birmingham? I mean, how are you managing to try and give more people access to dance? It's um, created awareness. I'm not going to lie to you. The pandemic has slowed us down big, big time. We felt like we have a momentum. We felt that, you know, I got everyone behind me. I still have everyone behind me, but then two years was a long time. And to generate again the momentum where, you know, people are suffering at the moment in terms of financially, uh, you could see that families, the oil prices are getting up, the food prices are getting up, and then you will have less and less time for, for entertainment and for leisure. That affects the numbers in the box office and that affects the planning to bring awareness that we have. Um, I mean, we have a, a very effective uh, program of uh, outreach and accessibility program to engage people and to try to, again, involve family and give them an education of what it is we're trying to do at Birmingham Royal Valley. And obviously my programming and programming um, in the direction of packaging the traditional ballet, but with a more modern wrapping. And that is the definition of what a, a classical ballet company of the 21st century uh, should be like. And at the moment, for instance, I'll give you an indication, 
Uh, we have a program for the Commonwealth Games team that is called On Your Marks. And that program, it does exactly that. You got a neoclassic ballet. Ballets are curated with augmented reality. So using technologies already on stage, which is a feast for the eyes. Then you have a new creation with the Commonwealth composers uh, as well from, from Australia, uh, Luke Howard. And then we have Juliano Nunes from Brazil. So you see it's globalization and you got the Q1 director and that's BRB, that's the 21st century. And then you got at the end a piece that is a dance installation. It's not even dance, it's a sport mathematic where the dancers are in tennis shoes on stage throwing bottles full of water with a neon and it's almost like a, a mind test because they had to remember numbers and there is a dance element there but it's a very very sporty quirky piece and that is the wrapping that we also cultivate and so those who might have an idea that ballet was just all tights and tutus and classical you know the nutcracker which it is but it's much more than that and so that's what I'm concentrating at the moment. You know, Katie is just trying to bring the art forward while keeping our core repertoire and our following. How do you see that working in the community? I mean, I know, you, as you say, the Birmingham Royal Ballet, they do a lot of outreach work. You do lots of different styles of dance to try and get people involved and get people engaged. I mean, you must see some great examples of people's lives being changed by dance. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, it's, it, we just had a couple of weeks back uh, the 25th anniversary of Dance Track. And Dance Track is a revolutionary program where we educated kids aged six to eight for free. We gave them education for free. We gave them all the, the gear, the ties, the shoes. We go to all these um, schools and and then and then we we bring the, this program to them and then we we also do shows uh, and bring them on and also that also educate the parents as well what we do and so we want to enhance even further that obviously uh, it is a very diverse demographic here in Birmingham and so we need to understand uh, and try to educate them of what it is ballet what, what it could be and how great it could be for their child it should they choose to develop a career out of it and uh, what I really would like to do is now that COVID is behind is actually go to places instead of where people to come to us Actually, go to the community, to the black country with demonstration. We have all the tickets right there with, with the um, uh, discount. Uh, and it's just, just hard sell. Uh, I think these are the times that we had to engage more one-to-one uh, -one with people. And, and obviously, I can use my experience, the life experience to say, you know, I, I, uh, this is where I come from. And it did wonders. And it's a great life. And so these are the kind of things that uh, I think we're going to be doing in the future. Have you seen many little Carlos's coming through the system? Do you see kids like you? Yeah, 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 yeah. There are, there are, there are a few. It's still, I mean, I remember that when I, when I joined the Royal Ballet in, in 98, it was just me, you know. It was just, I was the only black dancer, you know. And, uh, and now it's little by little. You could see more, more and more everywhere. You got Misty Copeland. 
in the US and we got Celine Giddens here and Brandon Lawrence and you in the Royal Ballet, you got Marcelino Sambe and we got Francesca Haidwell. So all the suddenly the role models out there. Yeah. And that is something that gives me a lot of pleasure to see. I think that's the way to go. And you see posters and you just see, and that poster while saying, this is, this is for you. And this is great. And look at these muscles and look how athletic and look how uh, refined and great. And you got music and you got, you know, and that is the kind of thing that I think we keep this artistry taking it forward and alive eventually. In everybody's mind, in every director, in every company's mind, that is the path for the future, which is a more inclusivity, less segregation in terms of the art form and instead of what you see on the stage, but the representation of who we are today in the stage, which early on, I must say, when I started, it wasn't there. And now, uh, you know, we're getting there more and more. So that's that's a great thing. But I also think as well, and I'm sure you agree, that, you know, it's so important that people realise how good it is for the city, for the community, for them to have all this dance around. Even if you're if you're in the audience or if you've got a kid who's enjoying being in a class, it has such a, a wonderful ripple effect, doesn't it? It's the most uh, natural thing to humans. It's dancing. You could dance professional, but you could also dance for your well-being and being in touch with your body. And also it could be used as a sense of gathering and a sense of community bring people together. So I think that that definitely there is a, there is that aspect of why do we dance and why, why we should dance, which I think uh, is also a route that we're going to be taking to engage with uh, new audiences. And finally, tell me what's going on at the International Dance Festival, because I know you've got a lot happening. It's a great festival here in Birmingham. We bring people from all over the, the world, all over the place. Uh, we've been invited with this program that is called On Your Marks. And within that program, you got the world, which is a Commonwealth theme. This is, again, you know, uh, Commonwealth is all about bringing nations together and have this feast and have this event together. And so it is mimicking that in a program that we curated. We got people from Brazil, from Australia, from Spain, from Cuba, Costa Danza is doing that that piece that I'm telling you with Birmingham together, you know, that they're throwing bottles called 24, so Acosta Danza is there. The music is by Vicenzo Lamagna, Italian. So we have all these ingredients, which again, uh, in the in the scope and of the Commonwealth Games that, uh, you know, uh, we bring that kind of celebration and, and that kind of theme onto the stage as well. Are you looking forward to it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm a bit nervous because, uh, you know, it's quite radical, you know, like, and I know that we always had the audiences that follow the Nutcracker and Swan Lake. And now I'm, I'm, I'm just going in a different direction, which I think is there is a need of that. But the, the, the ballet is there, the ponchos is there. But you never know. You never know with this radical programming and radical pieces uh, what you're going to get. But hopefully they enjoy it. My thanks to Carlos Acosta. So great to catch up with him. Head to the Birmingham International Dance Festival website at bidf.co.uk to find out more about Birmingham Royal Ballet's On Your Marks performances. 
So my thanks to BSL interpreters Rachel and Chloe and dancers Billy and Sarah from Critical Mass and I wish them all the very best for their performances at the festival. If they have inspired you to get up or get down and dance, search online for dance groups in your area or get in touch with Arts Council England, the Arts Council of Wales, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland or Creative Scotland. In the next episode, I'll be keeping you updated on the People's Orchestra's plans for the Birmingham 2022 Festival. And star of stage and screen, musical legend Sir Richard Stilgo will be telling me how live music can really help long-term patients in hospital. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and follow us on social media for updates. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And if you think there's someone that we really should be interviewing and featuring in the podcast, do let us know. Thanks for listening. Just the Tonic with Katie Derham was produced by Jill Davis and it's a Peanut and Crumb production supported by the People's Orchestra and by Arts Council England.